I'm the host of Grieving Out Loud, Angela Kenneke. Welcome to the second of five podcasts I recorded at the Bereaved Parents USA Conference in St. Louis in July. As a grieving parent, as a grieving mom, we fear that our child's going to be forgotten, that their name's not going to be remembered anymore. Peggy Green sadly lost her baby girl at daycare. Then she suffered child loss again when her adult son completed suicide. Peggy is now helping others move through their grief to healing as a grief coach and author. Her new book, Survive Your Child's Suicide, is just now being released. Well, Peggy, I have to say it's just been a pleasure to meet you and to get to know you at the Bereaved Parents Conference, the National Conference, and I am so sorry for both of your losses. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you today. First of all, let's talk about the first loss, and I know a lot of parents go through this kind of thing, whether it be a stillborn child or SIDS, and in your case, it was a daycare incident. We hear about these things happening, but... And I know it's been several decades now, but still, I can't imagine having to go through what you went through with a baby like that. It was in a daycare, and it was a non-traditional daycare, unlicensed daycare. And I was married at the time, and it was a choice that we made because my then-husband was in a job that he had to travel. And he would be gone for, you know, five out of seven days. And then I was working a job with non-traditional hours. I was working as a manager with a car rental company at an airport. And there were times I'd have to be at work at 6 a.m. and not get off until 2 or 3 in the afternoon or go in at 1 and not get off until midnight with my husband being out of town. And so a traditional daycare did not work. And this woman was recommended, referred to me by one of my neighbors, and she was like a grandmother. And, you know, there was, she just loved children. And she did this out of the goodness of her heart. She even watched her own children. And we knew that she wasn't licensed, but it was her heart, her love for children that we wanted Courtney, my nine month old daughter, to be with her. And because it wasn't licensed, it wasn't safe. And we didn't realize that. And she had taken and put Courtney down for a nap, and the area wasn't safe. And after she slept a long period of time, the daycare person went and checked on her, and by that time she had already passed away. She suffocated. Um, The daycare attendee had left some plastic bags out, and my daughter was just starting to get mobile, and they were close to a crib, and she grabbed him. Were there any criminal charges? Did anything result from this? Unbeknownst to us, um, the daycare setter had already been told to disband her center because it wasn't licensed. We didn't know that. Rules are different in every state. I know in my state, you can have unlicensed daycares. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they haven't gone through the process. So every state is a little bit different on that. But she had already been told to not have a daycare. That is correct, that she had been told not to have it. And because of that, the district attorney did decide to go ahead and prosecute. They prosecuted on criminal charges, manslaughter um, resulting in death. And my then-husband and I did not because she was already (laughs) suffering just like we were. She was responsible for the death of our child. So we chose not to prosecute here. We did get some financial retribution. 
but she wound up serving 90 days in jail as a grandmother. And I felt, I felt really bad for her because she was already grieving. She was dealing with this. It was horrible on hers as, as well as it was for me. Was your daughter's death the reason your first marriage didn't work out? Did it cause problems or was it other issues? That was part of it. Ad, you know, the pastor who conducted Courtney's funeral service did counsel us a little bit and said, at that time and 30 years ago, about 50% of marriages end as a result of a child loss. But there were other factors, and it was many, many years later that the divorce um, happened. I know this happened three decades ago. Um, when you talk about it, though, I, I, I can see that you go right back there to the, to the time that it happened. Is there anything that has helped you cope with the loss of your baby like that in the last three decades, or is it just as is is raw on your heart? Um, you know, having my son pass away, it's actually opened up some of the wounds again. But Courtney was buried in a cemetery, and so when I do go and visit that cemetery, it, she's buried in, a, in an area that I call Babyland, and this area continues to grow. And as I see that, I grieve my loss, but I also grieve for the other parents there. And knowing that they've experienced this, and I wonder how they're doing after this period of time. And so I know in not being alone, that that's, that's in a small, quiet way, helpful. You mentioned your son's death opening up these wounds again, kind of like they'd maybe been patched over by some scabs. Then your son, Connor, completes suicide in 2018. Did you have warning signs? Did you have any idea that that could happen? I didn't see any signs from him. And, and you know, it's one of those things that hindsight's twenty twenty. His older sister, um, living sister, her best friend committed. My oldest daughter had other friends also commit suicide. And then we also had a, um, I had twin nieces and one of them was diagnosed as bipolar and she had also taken her life. And so he's been exposed to it. And as we know, the statistics, if there's somebody close to you, that your odds increase dramatically with doing the same because the pain's horrible or you see that as a solution. So he had already been exposed to it. But the big thing was is that there weren't other quote-unquote, other mental health issues. He did struggle with addictions. He had six years clean sobriety. Then he relapsed. And along with that relapse was girlfriend problems, changing job. He was young, 24, and just getting established with his life. And life got heavy. Some things changed, and life got heavy. And I think that was his answer, is that it's so heavy that the only way to get out of that was to end it. You're not the first parent I've spoken to who's lost more than one child. And I often think, like, how unfair is that, first of all? I mean, nobody should have to go through child loss twice. Or some some parents I've even talked to have lost more than two children. But how do you, how did you ever feel like, why me? Like, I've suffered enough, and this is not fair. Of course, thinking it's, it's, it's tough and it's a terrible place, and how am I going to do this again? But in that way, I also know that 
my son has encouraged me to be able to go on and to help others. It's been really important, and and because in between I've mentioned some of my losses, and I've had many others, my mom, my dad, my sister, you know, and so the magnitude of my losses is are great, and I've made it through those. And I honestly believe that being able to understand how to grieve and move through it and be healthy is part of our process of our culture, which that's a whole different rabbit hole to go down. But we must also use those experiences to be able to navigate future ones. And I believe that's what it was, is that all those other things have given me the resources to be able to navigate my son's suicide. So you feel like you had some tools to build on after the death of your daughter um, when your son died decades later. Tell me about what prompted you to write a book. The first, you have two books out, the first, Life After Child Loss. When did you write that and why did you do it and what do you want people to know about it? This is, Angela, this is a gift that I never knew I had. And so when we wonder why, what's our purpose, I think this is one of the things that's been shown to me. When my son died, I went to social media. I went to Facebook, and I just started posting everything that I was going through. It's like, I want people to know about this. Because when my daughter died over 30 years ago, there wasn't the support. The resources weren't there. And, yeah, and definitely harder to find. And I had really close, small network 30 years ago. And some of those people had changed over time. But I was like, I want to help people. And so I just shared my journey. And about four months into it, I realized with the responses that are getting people from my comments on, on, on my posts, it's like, hey, this is helping me. This is really helping me. So I made a commitment to, quote, unquote, blog on Facebook for one year. And along that journey, somebody said, you need to write a book. And Angela, this is what I really thought would be so easy. It's like, oh, perfect. This will be easy. I'll just pull all those posts off of Facebook and then make a book out of it. Well, no, that's not the case. They are available. Um, I do have all that because I can see my journey when I go back and revisit it. So I reached out to a friend who helped me to work with a, a group to be able to write my book. And it was about the tools and resources when I reflected upon my post, what I was using. And it's like, I knew that other moms do not need to walk this journey alone like I did 30 years ago. I wanted to be that resource because I'd been through it once and this was real. This was vulnerable. This was honest. And these are the things that work for me. So I wanted to make sure that I shared those with people. And the title of your second book is Survive Your Child's Suicide. There are many parents who feel like they can't survive, um, who turn to alcohol or, you know, contemplate suicide themselves. Either their lives are in ruins or they end their lives. I've seen it happen over and over again where that is the case. So how do you survive your child's suicide? And I think that's a wonderful question because I truly believe that you can, that you can make it through it. And so like I said, my second book, Survive Your Child Suicide, is How to Move Through Grief to Healing. And that's where I introduce this, what I have developed as three phases to move through grief to healing. It's not a linear process, but this is what I found 
worked for me. So I talk about acceptance. And that acceptance is accepting that this has happened, accepting your circumstances. You cannot take back what has happened. And so being able to move through that and, and, and giving yourself that permission to grieve and permission to heal, accept that you can move forward, accept that you need to grieve. And so I think that's huge in being the first step and being able to accept where it is. Um, just talking to a friend, it's like you have a choice. You have a choice and you have a choice to change. And you can do that and being able to accept and to be able to move forward. And then the second phase is to understand your fear. Fear is associated with grief, with suicide, especially fear of forgetting. That's one of the things, and I think you can fully recognize this, is that as a grieving parent, as a grieving mom, we fear that our child's going to be forgotten, that their name's not going to be remembered anymore. And to be able to embrace that and say, no, and how do you keep that from happening? You're talking about the fear of, of the unknown. You said, well, how do you know if you're going to survive? Well, sometimes that just takes that leap of faith and believing that you're going to. And there's fear of judgment. So there's different types of fears and, and facing it, naming it, and working through that. And then finally, my third phase is about recovery. I come from a background in personal training, nutrition, health, and wellness. And I truly believe that this is one of the things that helped me to be able to survive through child loss number one and child loss number two. And that recovery encompasses four areas of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. If you think about you're doing a puzzle, you got all done except for one piece. That piece is missing. That puzzle is not complete. And I believe that this is health and physical health is so forgotten when it comes to recovery. And I think a lot of times that's the first thing people neglect is their physical health when they're feeling depressed and down and sad about losing someone. Um, I rely on exercise to survive my stressful life. And I didn't work out for the first few weeks after Emily died, but then I had to get back into it because I knew my brain wouldn't be okay. And I do try to watch what I eat. I think sleep is important. You know, we're talking, I'm talking about physical things here. So all those physical things are super important to take care of yourself. And you, know, you said that you were able to get back into the gym a few weeks after Emily passed away. The, done, the day that my son died, the day, not the day he died, but the day of his funeral, I went for a run that morning, and I was blessed with the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen. I had to stop in the middle of my run and take pictures, and I knew my son was leaving me a message. And there is a connection because when you exercise, you produce endorphins, and those endorphins help to stimulate you to move a little bit more, but then also it helps with the chemicals in your brain. There is a connection with that and how you think, how you respond, and then talking about your mental and emotional, and then even your spiritual health. And that doesn't have to be God. I personally believe in God, but it can be your higher power understanding that there's something greater than you in this universe that is what's guiding you and directing you. It's easy to lose faith, especially when you've lost a baby in daycare and a son to suicide, or if you just lose a child at all, it's easy to feel like you are abandoned or alone. So how did you gain back your spiritual or spirituality or some sort of faith? How did you do that? Or did you ever feel a time where it wavered? 
when I was married in 1985, I got married in a church because that was my expectation. That was my dream as a little girl, and and but never really pursued it. And after Courtney passed away, both my mom and my sister were very active in a church, and I was not. And I had that belief in God, and I I believe there's different levels in a relationship with our higher power. And mine was kind of like, yeah, I know he's there. And that was about it. And and it took many, many years. And it wasn't actually until my father was passing away. And um, at that time, again, my same husband at that time is was an alcoholic. And those 12-step programs encourage you to find your higher power. And so that is what brought me back to the church. I had attended as a young girl, but that's what brought me back and being able to cope and be able to understand, say, you know what, there's there's something else in control here. I've often heard that death just changes our relationship with our children, that our children are still with us. The relationship is just different. They're not physically, obviously, with us. Do you feel like you still have a relationship with the two children that you've lost? I do, and, and it's I believe that my nine month has grown up to some degree, and I and uh, I picture her connecting with her brother and with her grandparents who have now passed. But I believe that my son has left me messages that his energy is here, that he's turned some lights on in a china buffet, and I know that he's present and. He's also, I really feel his presence in, in telling me to write these books and help others on, in his honor, on his behalf. And he knows that he's put me through some tough times. And he didn't intentionally do that, but he, know that he knows that it's been tough. And he's like, yeah, now go help some other people. I know you can do it, Mom. You're strong. And I think we're both doing that in our own ways, um, trying to help other people. I always say, and for me, in some ways, it's a little bit selfish because helping others helps my grief, helps me feel better about the whole situation. Like, it's not all bad because, look, here's something that came out of it that's positive. If you can say that out of such a horrible thing. It's just now we've hand, handed these circumstances, what do you do with it? I'm a big believer in, in choice, in what we do with what's, what's happened to us. And that's how we do it. I would say that we're not responsible for our child's death, but we are responsible for our response to it, for what we do with it. And I love what you're doing. Thank you for writing these books. I can't wait to dig into them and read them since we just met. I just found out about your books. I'm going to be reading them. Um, and I just think that I, I, I know a lot of, a lot of moms and, and dads too, whose children have completed suicide. And it's just so stigmatized. Not everybody's talking about it. So I just want to thank you for doing that. I believe there's no coincidences in life in that we were meant to meet, to meet here at this conference. And I really do appreciate your work as well. And I'm sorry for your loss of Emily, but you have really turned that into an awareness and that you are creating something good out of a tragedy and finding that purpose. So I, so thank you for what you're doing. And I always say it's going to take a bunch, a big, huge group of angry moms, <laughs> or at least passionate moms, maybe anger is the wrong <laughs> word, to change the way society views the stigma surrounding suicide, fentanyl poisoning, mental health and addiction. And I think together we can do that. I'll bring you another interview from the Bereaved Parents Conference next week. Until then, 
Check out other episodes of the podcast and read my blog on our website, emilyshope.foundation. If you like what you're hearing, please consider giving us a positive review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage.